0: We have a wandering microphone, thank you, And uh, so uh, anyone who has any questions, um, particularly relating to the theme that I've been speaking about, there, there's a tendency for people to have brought your own questions that are uh, independent of the, the day's subject. I'm, a, I'm an orderly type, so if it's written on the, well, what's written on the tin should be what's on the inside of the tin, <laughs> so please do keep your questions to uh, the, the theme uh, for today, I'll be appreciative of that. And so anyone who'd like to ask, please uh, don't be shy.
1: Um, I hope it's relevant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> I was thinking whether you could offer any guidance on discerning. It's about uh, being aware of what is the natural responsivity of the heart and the attunement of the heart and what is what is meanness, minus, and, minus. and if there's. In my experience, sometimes I'm not I'm not clear of that. Distinguish
0: way to distinguish that. That's a very good question, um, and uh, if only we got a little readout, you know, maybe in the future with aug- augmented reality, we'll have little kind of uh, digital readouts in the bottom of our eyes that'll tell us, you know, delusion, delusion, you know, <laughs> drop it, or this is this is wisdom, follow it, but. Uh, for the time being, uh, we have to rely on mindfulness really and to um, and what 's one of the reasons why we, we meditate and watch the mind for uh, hours and hours and hours is to it 's like learning a language you, you can 't really if you want to learn chinese or french or, or, uh, or Thai or uh, a foreign language you 've got to keep hearing it over and over and over, otherwise you can 't tell the difference between. Uh, the, the the nuances of accents and the, the way the particular letters or or uh, syllables are pronounced. You have to keep hearing it, and then you can you can replicate it. So it's it's really exactly the same in terms of the mind, and and so we maybe uh, experience an attitude like, "Oh, this looks like a good way forward," and they, well, is that is that wisdom, or is that me saying, "I want that"? Hmm. And and so a lot of the time we can't tell because it's not clear. So like you can't you you can't tell the tone. Uh, it's like in in Thai language, it's a tonal language. So that the words cow and cow are not the word for a, an animal with four legs. You know, but, you know there it's it might sound the same to us in English, but it can mean rice, mountain, nine, white, enter. You know, and it all sounds like cow. <laughs> But they're five different words, so that uh, endlessly repeated hours of meditation, watching, and then, in a sense, you get to know the the flavour. You get to know the texture of that eye making and mind making. And uh, part of the the way that that familiarity is developed is using the capacity for wise reflection to ask, well, "Where's this coming from?" Or is this being driven by by you know, self-interest or self view, or is this a uh, natural uh, uh, attunement of the heart, what 's what, going on here? And wise reflection uh, is not just a of chattering thought, but it 's like a deliberate, focused um, uh, inquiry if you like it 's something that 's quite specific. you 're bringing the attention to a, an experience and, and, and consciously exploring it. Examining it like sort of picking up, okay, what's this thing? It's a glass. Okay, so how much does it weigh? You know, you're you're specifically picking that that attitude up and exploring it, and then also being prepared to be wrong, as it were. Say, well, this this seems like wisdom. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure. Let's let's follow this and see what happens. And so, part of not being attached to to views to that ditty is that rather than i'm right that's you know and you're wrong or, or this is i've chosen this therefore it's good and then i'm 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 hoping it's going to be right and i'm afraid it's going to be wrong because if uh, if self view gets attached to choice then again it that it gets tied into the attitudes of hoping and fearing but if if uh, choice is guided by wisdom then then it's much more like Let's try this and see where it goes. And if it, can, if it has a pleasant and, and helpful result, rather than, yes, I got it right. I'm a success. It's like, well, that looks like it's heading in a good direction. Okay. Duly noted. Let's keep heading this way and see what happens. Or similarly, if, if it's really painful and difficult and uh, it leads to a real conflict or a mess, you go, okay. Well, that didn't work. Rather than I'm a failure. I got that wrong. I hope they don't find out. What will they think of me? That, just to, in a sense, recognizing, well, that that led to a place of confusion and dukkha, so let's not go that way. So duly noted. So the whole the way that the mind relates to success and failure is quite different. So that you're, you're letting that, the choices that, or the judgment that, that are made um, really be in, informed by wisdom along the way as well, if that makes sense. And then uh, but as I said, being prepared to be wrong. Like, okay, well, this feels like a good direction to go. Let's try this, and then you know, a week later, you realize that was <laughs> that was definitely not the right that, that was not the right choice. Okay, duly noted. Now, now, let's try uh, a different direction. And uh, so then you you you're, uh, you're training the heart to to develop wisdom and to to. Um, also, that time you recognize, okay, well, that was, uh, I didn't recognize that, that element of self-view in it. So it, it can be like that. That, that's part of its texture. It's, it, it smells like that. It tastes like that. That's, that's the feel of it. So like, like learning to recognize the sound of a, of a rising tone or a, a rolled R in, in French or something that you, uh, Okay, that's that's how you make that sound. Okay, that's what it's supposed to sound like. Okay, I think I'm I think I'm getting that. And then that over time that familiarity really sinks in and you become more and more able to recognise, Oh, <laughs> I know you. So in the in the suttas you have this dialogues between the Buddha and Mara, and then the Buddha frequently says, I know you, Mara, you know, I know you evil one, you know. Like a Mara will come along and try to trick the Buddha, and the Buddha immediately says, "I know you, Mara. I know you, evil one." He knows that sound. He knows that that texture. Okay, I know where this is coming from. There's no doubt. Um, so it's that's uh, in a sense the challenge is to develop that clarity of of wisdom and attunement, so that that. Uh, those deluded motivations get recognized uh, more and more quickly and and then are let go of more and more quickly because you might recognize them but still I know I should let go but not yet you know. <laughs> so, any other questions? yes
1: uh yeah um my question got two part question the the woman that didn't want to move her plants or if i come across somebody else who has this uh nimby attitude uh, do you have any um thoughts or uh advice on that
0: <laughs> uh well be mindful <laughs> because like with with that particular uh, encounter uh I, I tried to make my input and you know she'd invited me to her home and she saw me as a teacher and so I'd made the input a couple of times and I said well surely wouldn't it be easier to just move your plants and uh, uh, and then the response that, that she she gave was like no I, I shouldn't have to do that that's that's I'm within my rights to have them where, where I want them and and so then reading that Situation is okay. I've i said it twice over, and she's determined to hang on to that. Okay, uh, I've said my bit. She certainly understood what I've said. I can't I can't think of anything else to say. Um, okay, it's it's uh, it's up to her. So that in those situations, weighing weighing it up. What's your relationship? And like I was saying about the sapurisa, what's your relationship to the person? Is it your brother? Is it your dad? Yeah, your mother. Is it someone in the workplace? Is it someone who is a, a, a kind of a, an old college friend or something? Who are they? What's your relationship to them? How do they see you? And you know, weighing up those things, and then also weighing up to what degree are they asking me to give them advice about their life? <laughs> uh, because it can be that yes, you're my friend, but no, I'm not interested in. Anything you want to tell me to do. So that that quality of of uh, knowing people, kind of weighing up who they are and the time, the place, the situation, and uh, because sometimes it might be that if you're like in a live situation, it's the wrong moment to say anything. But then when things have sort of calmed down later on, he said, "You know, when we had that that kind of interaction." Uh, it came into my mind to suggest such and such. Um, I didn't say it at the time, but I, I thought I'd let you know that's what what I was thinking. How, you know, does that sound okay to you, or uh, is that upsetting? I mean, so you can check in later on. Um, but really, it's a, a matter of of attuning to who the person is, what the relationship is, what the time is, the situation, and part of the, the Buddhist way is like not. Just a wading into somebody else's life without being invited so that um, you uh, are uh, at least that's within our, our monastic training in particular but uh, I think it's, it's also as a general principle that we're not going around telling everybody how they ought to live but rather just trying to embody a, a, a good way to live and a good um, way to operate good attitudes and let, let that speak for itself so we're not knocking on people's doors, telling them how to straighten out their lives. Um, so that that element of of somebody asking for your for your your input, or you, or, or you know, you're, 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 if you're engaged, you're talking about that area of conversation. You know, you're, you're having a discussion about it. You say, "Okay, well, the way it seems to me is," <laughs> so you can talk about it in terms of how you feel it to be, rather than you should do this. That makes sense uh, yeah, actually, that makes sense, so, yeah so that you can so sometimes to say, well, if it was me in this situation, what I would do is x, y or Z, so then they can pick that up or not, so there's there's ways you can talk about things that are not just sort of you should be this way or you should do that,
1: yeah, because he said you would move the plants from there to there, didn't you I, I said, have you considered Oh, yes, how you, you said it yeah?
0: Yeah, uh, moving the plants to the other side of the garden. That was the, the, the immediate... Like, there must be some special reason why she doesn't do that, because that seemed like the most obvious thing to do. You know, the shadow is there on the right-hand side. That's the tree. There's the shadow. There's an empty space on the left-hand side. <laughs> so I just wanted to find out what was the reason. She just, But then the reason was she wanted them over there, not over there.
1: Did you ever hear an outcome... Of the lawsuit, or was it just
0: uh, two persons? Uh, I don't think I ever heard an outcome.
1: Uh, and then you, you mentioned Mara. Um, I, I, when I was here last time, someone mentioned other voices. Um, uh, those guardians, Hiriotapa. Um, um, are are those similar things like Mara to guide us to be to be aware of others? And that's always. That, am I getting it all all wrong?
0: Uh, no, uh, well, it's, they're um, more psychological qualities. Oh, okay. So they're, they're, these are all different ways of speaking about attributes of your own, uh, your own mind. And so Hiri and Otapa are almost always just spoken about as mental qualities. Very, very rarely are they actually sort of depicted in any kind of um, mythological form our temple is a rare example. There's two uh, devas on either side of the doors as you go in. These, these the, are, these, not those, those two. Ones the of, uh, yeah. in the te- the temple, you got one with a, a blue surrounding, and one with a pink surrounding. Oh. So those represent hiri and Otapa. Okay. But that's that's extremely rare. So usually they're just spoken of as the mental qualities of um, uh, moral sensitivity. Uh, that uh, so you know, when you when you tell a lie that sort of, ooh, in your heart. That, ooh, that wasn't really true. Or, yeah. that, that feeling of regret and, and tightness, and that sort of painfulness in the heart, yeah, that's, uh, that kind of moral sensitivity. Is, uh, so then they are, um, uh, that's usually how they are represented in, in the teachings and, and talked about. And Mara is more often mythologized as a sort of entity, but it's also um, a way of talking about the um, uh, deluded patterns of thinking and deluded attitudes, anything that's clouded by ignorance. You, know, you can speak in terms of the, the, uh, uh, the voice of Mara or being... As, it's just Mara uh, having its effect on the mind. But it's so anything that... so. Um, uh, attitudes that are clouded by by ignorance, so greed, hatred, delusions, all these aspects of self-interest, I and me and mine. They were um, you can they would um, uh, mostly in the, in, the, in the suttas they're talked about in terms of psychological qualities, but also you have these dialogues where between the Buddha and Mara, Mara coming along and saying, you know, if you wanted to. You could turn the whole Himalayas into solid gold, you know. If you, if you, you know, you could do that, and so that that's mythologized into like a, a, an entity coming along to the Buddha and speaking to him. But he can also see it as a, the thought arising in the Buddha's mind. You know, I could turn the whole Himalayas into solid gold if I wanted to. And so, in this, in this, this, uh, the representation of Mara as a as a living being, as an entity, is more common in the suttas. But in terms of our moment by moment experience, then uh, any of those attitudes of mind that are, are coloured by, by uh, self view and ignorance and, and uh, such like greed, hatred, and delusion, that they, they consider those all the, the voices of Mara. And you were just saying that through
1: meditation we can be more sensitive to and um, observe Mara um, and that texture. Is that, is that just what you were saying just now?
0: Yeah, so that you, um, that uh, rather like that, so the, the, um, you know, you could turn the whole Himalayas into solid gold if you wanted to. It's like, you know, you don't have to sit here and watch your mind. I mean, just go out and enjoy the countryside. It's a beautiful day. Look, the sun's coming out. Yeah. Why are you wasting your time? And it's like the so then the uh, the wisdom would tend to say, "I know you, Mara."
1: <laughs> and then I'll finish on and the moral sensitivity is just instinctive; it just happens. Is
0: that uh, it, uh, it? It just happens. It's also I mean it's an attribute of the human heart. And the one of the interesting things with it is that the more spiritually spiritually developed any individual is, then the stronger those feelings are. But it's uh, it's not the same as guilt. It's a, it's like a moral sensitivity, so that um, you, uh, it's it's painful, but it's not uh, it's not connected to self-view, like I'm a terrible person or I'm really awful. I sh- you know I'm, I should be punished. That's what that's where like uh, the se- uh, self-view has taken over hiriotipa and turned it into a guilt trip. And so, um, in in Buddhist psychology, to have a lot of hiriyatapa is a really good sign. It's like someone who's really spiritually mature has a lot of hiriyatapa, which means they they. And it's in some of the teachings it said how and our, there are things an arahant actually cannot do, like if you're an enlightened being, you cannot tell a lie. It's like the tongue won't form the words. You can't kill a, a living creature. It's like it's impossible. Kind of, the, the hand can't can't act to take the life of another living being. It's, it won't. It won't work. Yeah. So the Hiriyotpala is really sort of cranked up to max, <laughs> so that uh, it's very very different from the sort of Western guilt tripping that we, the Judeo-Christian uh, mindset of uh, even a bad person, you should be punished. You're you know you're evil, yeah. but rather it's a um, uh, in a way the, the the heart is acutely attuned to anything that's unskillful or, or, or harmful and so that uh, so hiri is uh, it's it, it talked about in different ways but hiri is generally reflecting on your own actions so like if you told a lie or you've you've uh, harmed another creature then that sense of oh, the painfulness in, in you otapa is talked about in different ways but uh, it Generally, I think it's most helpful to understand it as when you see unskillful action outside yourself. It's like when you when you see somebody else um, acting cruelly or, or selfishly or aggressively. Or it's a sense of oh, I don't want to be around that. I don't want to be close to that. I, I, it's not that you're you're not filled with hatred or aversion. It's just like a, a, as a withdrawing. I don't want to be. I'm not interested in being close to that. I, why would I want to be near that? That's, that's sort of painful, it's chaotic, it's confusing. It's just a, there's a, an inclining away from that. Um, so that the uh, um, one is more related inwardly and the other is more related outwardly. But it's uh, they are uh, that sense of an attunement to the impact of, of actions and speech.
1: And I'll just finish, and they just automatically get bigger as you get become more enlightened, is that what you're saying? That's
0: roughly it, yes. Okay. Right. Thank you. So any other questions relating to today's theme? Not in my backyard and the place of non-abiding? There's a hand at the back. I... Oh, go ahead, yes, you're close by.
2: Yeah. It's. I hope it's a quick one when uh, you have um, a situation uh, that you can't escape um, of uh, NIMBY or not in my backyard but meaning in something really uncomfortable what can you do you can't just uh, stay in this no no abiding space (laughs) where you are just nothing (laughs) so it's a practical uh, ask for advice you know for instance, if you happen to have a close friend or somebody member of your family or a situation where it's really close to you, you can 't avoid it mm-hmm. and and so you find like uh, dealing with uh, confusion aggressivity of all this type of energy yeah. or of virtue or whatever you call them you can't stay in this place of uh, of nonness, nonness, and so, what do you do?
0: Well, uh, the, I, ah. I think it's a. Oh, sorry, uh,
2: I? is it is it is it clear enough? Or yes, um, okay, I, I, thank you. I
0: think uh, there's a misunderstanding. The place of non-abiding is not a place of non-action. So it's like Ajahn Chah saying to Ajahn Samedha, It's not. It's not in uh, the Buddha Dhamma. Is not in, in Not found in moving forwards, nor in moving backwards, nor in standing still. So it's not a matter of doing nothing. It's not a passivity, but rather it's an, an attunement of the heart, the mind to the, the present situation. And that I mean, it's like Ajahn Samehita did a lot of choosing and a lot of, took a lot of initiative establishing the Sangha in the West. He had to give a lot of direction and a huge amount of teachings and make a lot of choices. Yeah, Amravati, one is, I mean, this is one of his choices. <laughs> This place only exists because he says, "I think we need a bigger place." So that uh, not moving forward, not moving backwards, not standing still is not is absolutely not passivity. So if you've got a, a, a difficult conflict um, and there something seems to need to be done, yeah, you know, then uh this place of non-abiding is talking about how the mind is trying to find a thing that I should be doing or to to take hold of it and drive it towards a particular goal because I know that's right. And so, uh, which is the kind of thing we do all the time. And so then um, the the alternative that Ajahn Chah's advice is talking about is not being rigid or being fixed in the outcome that we want or how is how are we going to handle this or oh, we need to talk to the police or we need to get a lawyer or uh, you need to talk to Uncle Joe and I'm going to arrange the meeting and, and uh, it's like well yes it seems like Uncle Joe needs to be talked to but um, let's find out more about the situation or this seems to need a lawyer but uh, let's let's get a bigger picture let's, let's, uh, let's uh, look at the whole situation so it's it's not a matter of being half-hearted or passive, but rather uh, not a- acting out of compulsion or uh, in, a, like in an automatic way or not just reacting uh, according to ways that you've done in the past or, or because someone with a loud voice or with a, a logical mind is telling you, you should do this, and you go, okay. Um, but rather th- it's that attunement to the situation and then also it's kind of interesting that that this sort of letting go or non-attachment it can actually enable us to act in far more comprehensive ways to be far more brave and take more risks than we would normally do even though we might call it non-attachment do you see what I mean? because part of what you're not attaching to is your hesitancy you you know, you you might think, oh, i better not do anything. or oh, it's a bit risky. Or oh, what will they think? Or oh, I'm not sure about that. But if there's non-attachment, if there's coming from a place of attunement, it's like then then it can be some really difficult situation. But said, well, okay, something needs to be done, and no one else is doing it. Okay, I'll I'll do it. And then you find yourself uh, taking responsibility or stepping up and getting really engaged and really involved in something. Um. But that involvement has come from non-attachment, <laughs> so it's it's a it's tricky using language in this way because it seems like the Buddha being misunderstood to say it sounded like he was talking about nibbana as an annihilation. He said that's not what I'm teaching. So the the place of non-abiding is not being half-hearted or passive or just sort of disconnected. It's a when you see people like uh, Lumpur Sumedha or Lumpur Cha in action, they are, they are very connected <laughs> and often ready to take initiative and to um, be very uh, forthright, very straightforward in, in ways, but they're doing it without any kind of uh, ego involvement or without any sort of fixed view of, of where where it's got to go, but they're... they're Weighing up the whole situation and then being ready to to act upon it, and so it's a um, it's a way of not being rigid or or, or acting out of habit or out of op- opinion or or social pressure, but rather it training the heart to 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 attune, to be in tune with the time, the place, the situation, who you're with, what the situation demands, and then saying, okay, let's go for it. So a, a, a simple example, um, when I, I came here um, in 2010 and uh, Lumpur Sumedha had invited me to take over as abbot of Amaravati, I was living in California, I was very happily settled in my place, I, <laughs> I had the, the perfect kuti, looking out over the valley, up on this hillside, this, you can see the sun and the moon and the stars, and alone in the forest, ensuite bathroom. Yeah, two hundred and eighty acres of forest all around. It's like yes, yeah, dream kuti. And uh, so, uh, but I, I've forgotten the, the Buddha's encouragement in the Dhammapada. You know, the wise exert themselves; they are not attached to any home. Like swans that abandon the lake, they leave home after home behind. So just after I got the perfect kuti, myself and, and Ajahn Pasana, we had this pair of perfect kutis, and then I got this invitation from uh, Lumpur Sumedha, would you like to come and take over as of Amravati? So I had to discuss that with the Sangha there in Avayagiri in California, and then with other uh, Sangha members, and everyone eventually agreed. and so I moved over here in 2010. So I'd lived here before, 1985 to 1995. And, uh, and I knew then that these were old these buildings were built in 1939, and I'd spent a lot of time with everybody else, insulating them and patching them up. And, and so I had um, assumed that while I was away, 15 years away, that there had been a a plan had been developed to (laughs) take down all the old buildings and replace them with purpose-built new buildings, that they must have some sort of long-term plan, they must have done. And even though I visited from time to time in those 15 years, um, it had never really been talked about, but I just kind of assumed there would be a a long-term plan for taking down these old energy-inefficient buildings and and creating a, a new design. So when I arrived here, it's a big place and a complex community, and there's already a, you know a lot to be doing. And so, and before I came, I mean, this might seem extremely stupid, but it had not crossed my mind once before I actually arrived here that we might actually need to um, uh, have a to to be launching a rebuilding program. I assumed it was already in place. I arrived here and I found out it's not. There is no plan. Okay. (laughs) So I was not looking for anything more to be doing. I already had plenty of of things to occupy my time. But um, within a a year of arriving here, uh, I realized, okay, well these buildings are now 75 years old and um, they, uh, they're extremely inefficient and uh, if there isn't a long term plan we need to create one ok well no one else is going to do it I'm sitting behind the wheel <laughs> so ok I guess I have to do it so um, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that's one example of, um, of non-abiding <laughs> the uh, if I had said, um, I've already got too much to do, uh, you know, the buildings look after themselves, we can just pay the bills and just leave, let the buildings stand there till they fall apart. And, um, I could have done that, but weighing the, weighing the picture up and then and realizing, well, I was a bit naive to assume there was already a long-term plan, <laughs> but considering it, I think, well, that's, I guess it's just been put off and put off and put off, and I talked about it with various other people and okay, well, it looks like uh, people feel this is something necessary and um, I'm sitting in the driver's seat, so, okay, I guess I'll launch a long-term plan. So that's a lot of meetings. (laughs) Huge amounts of documents, piles and piles and piles of documents and meetings and huge amounts of money. And so um, that is a lot of engagement and also taking a lot of initiative, having to, to give direction and be involved and listen to people's input and deal with conflict between architects and builders and whatnot. Um, but I'd say that's all part of the place of non-abiding. It can involve a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, but given the place and given the... Um, the situation of myself being invited to be uh, in charge and uh, the, the living situation here, that's, that's how it took shape. So that you can, uh, I'm not saying all my decisions, or that was uh, 100% perfect in any way, but uh, as, as an example, you can practice non-attachment and for that to lead to an, an awful lot of stuff with your name on <laughs> But that doesn't have to be a burden. So if I feel like I've got to make this long-term plan work, it's all down to me, and if it succeeds, I I, I will be happy. If it doesn't succeed, I won't be happy. It's got to be like this, it mustn't be like that. Then I'm creating suffering. Even just saying those words, I'm kind of just making it up as I'm saying it. (laughs) Even just saying those words. Because uh, that's, that's a really unskillful attitude. If if I have the attitude, okay, well, it seems like a good idea and people seem to be behind it and it seems to be developing in a good way, Um, okay, let's just uh, uh, put energy and time and effort into it and if it comes out with a good result, great. If it doesn't, well, that's okay too. My happiness is not tied into what buildings take shape on this piece of ground over the next hundred years or so. Uh, It doesn't have to be how I define who and what I am, or or, or uh, what is valuable.
2: Thank you for the example. So it seems that, or at least to me, that non-attachment could be a help, helping end on the way. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: It's it's uh, it's frequently misunderstood as meaning passivity or disconnection, but I would say the. Um, being abbot of Amaravati is my practice of non-attachment. <laughs> so, and people say, you know, oh, I must be so. You must be so busy. You have got so much to do. All these people, all this stuff, and 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 so. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but I say I try never to be busy. I'm very active, but I try never to be busy. To be busy is. Uh, To me, it depends how you use the English words, but to be busy is like, you're sort of, as a, you're you're grasping what's going on, there's a tension, there's an agitation, and um, you're waiting for it to be over so you can have some peace. (laughs) But uh, you can be active, and I I really take my example from people like Lumpur Samedha, Lumpur Cha, and the Buddha, you know, they were very active people, but they're also extremely peaceful. That they, they did a lot of stuff. The Buddha is incredibly uh, uh, creative and took an amazing amount of initiative, establishing the teaching and the whole Sangha and traveling uh, all over northeast India and spreading the teachings in this incredible variety of ways. It's an amazing amount of engagement and, and initiative. And if you read the Vinaya discipline, the books of the Vinaya, the, the monks and nuns were not very well behaved. I mean, There's like thousands of rules he had to establish because of the really awful things that the monks and nuns did. I mean, incredibly stupid and indulgent and crazy, weird. And so, you know, the Buddha had to establish all sorts of of uh, of rules. So it wasn't all just plain sailing. It wasn't like he's the enlightened one and everyone says Sahadu Bhante. Yeah. They had to. he had to he had to pass rules like, you know, it's uh, An Ajahn should not cut the ears off a novice simply to punish him for bad behaviour. You know, not to be done. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's one extreme example, but uh, so it was not. It was not easy. He had a huge amount of stuff to do and adjudicating the conflicts in the community or establishing uh, different places, dealing with squabbling groups of lay people and so on. He is amazingly creative and, and thoughtful, but yet he didn't create suffering about any of it. So we have really great examples uh, of how to be active but not busy. And, and so that non-attachment is in a way freeing up your capacity to act in a, uh, uh, so that you can f- use the abilities, the time, the energy, the capacities that you have in the most uh, complete way possible. And it's restful along the way. So, there was a hand at the back late, earlier on. Maybe they were just... Okay. There's one down in the corner here. This gentleman with the blue shirt.
1: You mentioned as one of the uh, qualities of a balanced person, atanita, so some sense of uh, uh, right appreciation of a person or a self.
0: So atanita.
1: Atanita, And then you mentioned um, uh, about um, letting go of a sense of self. And I I just wondered if you could say something about the compatibility of that with um, karma, which seems to uh, require a, some connection between a person now and a person in the past and a person in the future, and also uh, its compatibility or how it fits in with uh, rebirth, which, again, seems to presuppose a connection between a person in this
0: life and a, a person in a, a future life. Uh, there's, a, there's a few elements in there. Um, the One of the things that... that uh, is helpful to to reflect on is that when we talk about letting go of self-view, it doesn't mean the personality evaporates. And so uh, if you've been around various different Buddhist uh, teachers or or just looking at the scriptures, you know, the Venerable uh, Mahakasapa was a very different character than Venerable Ananda. You know, Mahakasapa was the sort of staunch ascetic and uh, loved his, you know, rag robes and and was um, very uh, fond of the austere practices, and Ananda was like the perfect secretary that was sort of always looking after the Buddha's program and taking care of all his visitors and uh, uh, the. Um, uh, so even in the Buddha's time, the great enlightened ones had very different personalities. So letting go of self-view doesn't mean the personality vanishes. So part of Atanyutta is getting to know what shape the personality is, like what kind of. What's your the prescription for your glasses? What size are your shoes? Um, that kind of thing. So knowing, okay, I'm going to be in a, a, a large group of people. I tend to get anxious if there's a lot of people around. Okay, cater for that. Or um, uh, I'm going to be by myself. I get lonely. Uh, I get insecure if I'm by myself. Okay, let's cater for that. So that you're getting to know the shape of your own disposition, where your where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, where you've... Um, upset people in the past, or you've pleased people in the past, so that you're you're uh, becoming familiar with that. It's like uh, people um, when uh, people say uh, with these Sunday talks or running a retreat, you know, that they say, well, um, "Is it is it hard work for you, or do you do you feel it stressful? You're running a retreat or giving these talks?" And I say, "Well, uh, I've never run out of words yet." <laughs> <laughs> usually I'm trying to limit the flow so uh, I don't worry about not, not having anything to say and so for other people it's totally different that they, they're running a, a retreat they're really, it's really daunting oh my goodness, what am I going to say 10 days <gasps> what's, there to, what's there to talk about <gasps> and so so uh, it's not saying talking a lot is good and not not having much to say is bad but rather, okay, you know you're talkative, or you know that you're you're taciturn. You're, you know you're quiet. You, you're you're a person of few words, so you you cater for that. And then how that relates to um, your conditioning or your past lives, then that's just um, in a way the the uh, the choices that have been, been made in the past, uh, the conditioning that we have just within this life, in our family, our education, who your siblings were, your sisters, your brothers. Um, the um, the vast array of different influences that that uh, come to to play in our lives it's, it's incalculable. I mean, one of the the four imponderables the Buddha spoke about is the the workings of karma, the achinteya, the, the four imponderables that you if you, you 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 can't think your way to any con- certain conclusion about any of those areas. So karma is one of those. You can't figure out exactly where every karmic influence has come and how everything affects everything else. It's, it's too multidimensional. It's too, it's too multifaceted, too big. So uh, in, in, ter- in practical terms, uh, I personally I encourage people not to think about it too much. Say, okay, where does this come from? Okay, uh, I'm a talkative person. okay. <laughs> It doesn't seem to come either from my mother or my father. I don't know where it comes from, but here it is. It's like this: I don't have to make a big story about it, uh, but just know well, this is a, a particular shape of this this personality. Um, so that the the rule of thumb that I like to encourage is that if you can, if you ask the question, where does this come from? And then there's a, an immediate, sort of intuitive, oh right, yeah. uh, I'm very fear conditioned because uh, when I was a small child, I was, I was one and a half years old, I was in hospital for six months and I felt terribly lonely and lost and away from my family and I was terrified I was never gonna be with my mother again. I'm just making this up. And so, oh, so I've got this fear of separation because when I was a small child. And so if that's sort of, oh, that's where it's come from. And if it's immediate and uncluttered, then you can usually rely on that. Exactly why you got diphtheria and went to hospital for six months <laughs> might be some kind of distant past life experience or not. But that, I, I feel, is not so crucial. But if there's an immediate sense, okay, well, wherever it came from, that experience when I was a little kid that had this big effect on me now. So that that the, the feeling of fear of being alone, the smell of a hospital, it, it brings a, an immediate reaction, that's probably conditioned by that. That's the cause, that's the effect. Okay. And the point of that is not to create a sense of identity, but rather, oh, here's the cause, here's the effect. Okay, it's just nature doing its thing. And uh, actually, as I'm saying, I'm giving that example, I'm remembering... Um, one of the places where it came from was um, somebody who was on a retreat with me here at amravati many years ago uh, that that actually did happen to him. He was sent to hospital as a kid for i think actually even longer i think it was about nine months and uh he was um he was a psychotherapist by profession <laughs> and he was uh, he was saying how uh, he was. Uh, I, w- I was teaching this meditation on, on not self, and using the question "Who am I?" Uh, and uh, uh, along with other other practices. And he said, um, the uh, uh, a- a- everything he did kept taking him back to this hospital experience when he was a t- when he was a very small child. He said, even the question "Who am I?" He said. So so I, he was he was, in, he was kind of interested in giving me this account. He said so. So I think the words "Who am I?" So then, the, the eye, it's got, you know, the, the 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 upright, and then with a, a a bar on top and a bar below, then it it it, um, it flips around onto its onto its side, turns into a pair of double doors. And I'm in the hospital corridor again. It's mm-hmm. you know, so like I can't get out of that damn hospital. And he was laughing about it. He was saying, "Oh yeah, everything's taking me back to that that uh, uh, that experience as a, as a child." And that that had this massive impact, and that uh, so that has coloured the way he would relate to his life. And so, very I thought. But we had this interesting discussion about how it was the word "I" <laughs> turned into these, you know, hospital doors in the corridor. And that uh, is that that "I" feeling is centred around that terrible uh, difficulty as a child, uh, separated from the family at such a young age, and the 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 sights and the smell and the that the the, the tone of that whoop, had that strong impact, so seeing that, okay, that's where that comes from. This is the cause, this is the effect, aha so then when when we are able to see oh it's, it's, it's a pattern of nature, it's not personal because of this cause there's this effect. this is how nature works. So then, there's a, uh, the mind is able to see it in terms of Dhamma, in terms of, of, of the workings of nature, rather than me and my problem, my life, I, my, my thing. It's shifting from a self-centered view to a nature-centered view. And so that, um, in the, the development of the, of the quality of upeka, equanimity, The the way the Buddha encourages that is, I'm the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, born of my karma, related to my karma, abide supported by my karma. Whatever karma I shall do, for good or for ill, of that I will be the heir. So the development of Upeka, equanimity, comes from reflecting on cause and effect. Here's the cause, here's the effect. Seeing it in terms of nature, so that leads to this evenness. Oh right, okay. It might be a painful result, but it's just nature doing its thing. Or it might be a glorious result, but it's just nature doing its thing. Aha. I don't have to make that glorious result, me and look at me, I'm wonderful, how fantastic I am. I did this thing and got praised. But okay, well, that, that's a particular skill that got acted on, and so there's this result. The world praises it. Fine. There's, this is acted on, this is painful and difficult. Uh, that's, uh, that, that has that particular tone and feeling. Okay, that's the cause, that's the effect so the more the mind the, the usefulness of of that then is looking at those influences on this life that have made it in this particular way so that it can be seen from a position of not self from it can be seen in terms of nature rather than i and me and mine i think that's a good place to finish so thank you all for your good uh, questions and your attention this is the last of the Sunday talks for this year. So if you come next Sunday at 2 o'clock, you might be disappointed. So please go out.